evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside James Montefusco, engineering our soundboard tonight. Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart here in the studio. Remember, you can listen to our show on liuwave.org or watch us on Facebook Live. Have a question? Call in 516-299-2030. You know the drill. That's how you can take part in our live show. Also, listen to our podcast that will be up tonight after the show or over the week weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. Happy 46th birthday to Bartolo Colon. Uh, I believe he's the oldest pitcher, oldest player remaining in the MLB. He turned 46 yesterday. But yes, our podcast is up on anchor.fm slash review and preview. This is our 60th show since I uh, started hosting, and we're getting up there in podcast as well. So looking good, guys, looking good. We're going to start the show off with some baseball talk. We're going to talk about the Mets, followed by the Yankees, have a special caller, MLB News, Stanley Cup Finals preview, Team of the Week, NBA Playoffs, and we'll wrap up with some NFL hot stove news. So let's get to the Mets. The Mets are currently third place in the National League East. They are coming off a four-game sweep of the Washington Nationals. And they are currently four and a half games back of the first place Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, and three games back in the wild card. Now, despite this four-game winning streak, let's talk about what happened last weekend against the Marlins where they got swept. Do we have to? We have to. Okay. Friday night, the Mets lose 8-6. to six. Pete Alonso hits a dinger into right center field. And J.D. Davis also pitching with a couple of RBIs. But Kyle Earhart, the Grom pitched awful in this game. Just five innings, six runs, nine hits, and three RBIs from the catcher, Jorge Alfaro. What's going on with Jake? I, I, like you guys said in the weeks prior, like what's going on with the starting pitchers in baseball? It's just it's not just Jake. It's it's everyone else. You know, it's I guess Jake. You know, clearly doesn't have his stuff in the beginning of the season. I mean, we could all speculate he could be injured, but at, at this point, you know, he says he's not injured, so. I don't know. Uh, who knows what's up with Jake? Yeah. That is a very key point there, Kyle. Now, this transitioned into Saturday where the Mets get shut out. They got shut out 2 nothing. They just had one hit the whole game. One hit, which is embarrassing because you're playing against the Marlins. This is a team that's last place in the NL East. And that one hit was from Jeff McNeil. And Steve, Steven Matz did not look good. First of all, coming off the IL, I understand it's rough, but three and two-thirds... It's unacceptable. He's the southpaw of this rotation. Unacceptable. Um, and then game three, also not good. The Mets lose 3 nothing, so they get shut out two games in a row. This game, only two hits, both by J.D. Davis. Career-long backup. Uh, Syndergaard, another typical Syndergaard outing, except he did go seven innings this time. And, of course, the former Met, Curtis Granderson. Had an RBI in this game. And the offense was so dead, Sandy Alcantara pitched a complete game for the Marlins. Eight strikeouts. Eight. Explain. I mean, what is there to explain? There, there's nothing to explain. <laughs> That's the whole point. There is nothing to explain. You got swept by a last-place team, James. A last-place team. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to blame this on Van Wagner, Mickey Callaway, the lineup. I don't know what's going on. 
But if you're this Mets team, you know, you got to get out of the dump. Uh, a five-game losing streak coming into Monday. They're saying, will Mickey Callaway make it back to New York? Robinson Cano questioned for his effort, which, you know, this man's 36 years old. And the management and the players backing up Mickey Callaway. Uh, my take on this, guys, look, I don't think this is the manager's fault. I don't think this is entirely Mickey Callaway's fault. I think he's been put in an unfair, precarious situation because I think Bertie Van Wagnen's the one that's more to blame here. Now, I understand he's only been here a few months, not even a year yet, but this guy did assemble the team this season, and he really didn't do much wrong until he came out and said in the offseason, we're the team to beat in the National League East. We put all these pieces assembled together, and clearly you're not. You're not the team to beat in the National League East because you've played like garbage. You're a game under 500. You have all this great starting pitching, and you put together some great players on paper, and you're still sitting there in third place, a mediocre seating for the Mets right now. Uh, look, this transitions into this week's series where the Mets play against their division arch nemesis, the Washington Nationals. The Mets win the first game of the series 5-3. to three. And Pete Alonzo, man, this kid's a dime. He has been special. Another home run. Now he has 16 homers on the season, which is unheard of. That's the first time a Mets rookie has done that in forever. Uh, and, you know, there's a chance. I don't know if he's headed to the All-Star game. I don't know about that. But at the very least, he might be in the home run derby. Yeah, he's, he said he would love to participate in the home run derby. So, I mean, 16 home runs. I think he's third in the NL behind, you know, Yelich and Bellinger, Bellinger and home runs. Yeah, and home LA runs. and uh, Milwaukee. So yeah. I, I think without a doubt he'll be in the home run derby. Without now, a doubt. This is another thing to consider as well. Uh, Dom Smith with a pinch hit RBI in this game. And Carlos Gomez, who the Mets just brought back up, uh, recently got called. He got an RBI as well. Mets win 5-3. All seems to be good. The Mets get a good win. Now, game two, Mets offense is dead. Uh, although Rosario did get the walk-off infield single in the bottom of the ninth th- through his hustle, but this was a complete collapse of the Washington bullpen. Um, it was not a good game for the Mets hitting-wise. It really was not. Uh, I know J.D. Davis had a three-run pitch hit home run in the seventh inning, but I don't know if this is these wins should be accredited to the Mets' offense or the Nationals' bullpen. Evan Masters, who was on the show last week, clearly said it. He tweeted out this week, the Mets' best offensive player is the Nationals' bullpen. That's exactly what it was, guys. Uh, the Mets were down one in the bottom of the eighth, and then the rookie of the month, Pete Alonso, moonshot to left field. Ties it at five in a game where Zach Wheeler, yeah, he went seven innings, but the Mets could get him no run support until he left the game. So, Earhart, what's your take on this series? It, was it the Nationals' bullpen pitching that bad? Uh, is the Mets' offense starting to wake up, or is it a combination of both? Or I think it's it? a mixture. I think it's a mixture of both because we all know this Nationals' bullpen is absolutely atrocious. Uh, this ERA is over six bullpen. It's absolutely terrible. But you got to give the Mets some credit. But players step up like a Rajay Davis stepping up at a three-run homer. You have Carlos Gonzalez, uh, Carlos Gomez, yesterday hitting a three-run homer in the eighth inning. I mean, 
yeah, obviously the Nationals' bullpen's awful, but you got to give the Mets some credit. You know, tough at bats against Scherzer. J.D. Davis had 21 pitches through his three batting, again, three great at bats against Scherzer, getting him out of the game in the seventh, getting to that bullpen. So if you want, you got you have to look at the positives here, the Mets. You can't look at the negatives. Oh, I can. A typical Mets thing to happen. Now, what happens when you call a player up from the minor leagues? The player, they're supposed to arrive to the stadium on time for the game. They're supposed to give them well-long notice. Well, in game three of this series on Wednesday night, that was not the case. Raji Davis called down from Syracuse, or called up. Well, technically you're going downward from Syracuse to uh, Flushing Queens. But... In this game, where the Grom would start again, Raji Davis got an Uber ride from Allentown, Pennsylvania. I believe it was $283. He got a call at 3 o'clock that he's got called up. Landed at what, 5? And then took the Uber from Allentown, Pennsylvania to City Field. First off, who takes an Uber from Allentown, Pennsylvania? <laughs> To City Field. I believe that's where the uh, a minor league facility is because a lot of teams actually do that. A two hundred eighty three dollar car ride. Yes, I did. Actually, there's been I think what? a couple of years ago another Met did it too. But is it is it common for the Mets or is it common for the MLB? I don't know. If that's common I for the know. MLB. I, I think this is a typical Mets thing to do. It has to be. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. MLB players do this. It it it's a Mets thing. Showed up in the third inning of this game, he did. Couldn't find the dugout till the fifth inning. And then hits the game-winning three-run homer in the eighth inning. Nice, right? Yeah. What a night. <laughs> I mean, a clutch hitter, and uh, he one long ride, and then he, uh, he hits a dinger. Yes. I mean. Honestly, he kept Mickey Callaway's job. Yeah. Day, to be honest. <laughs> I think so. Mets win this game 6-1. to Lagaris also had three RBIs in this game, so him and Davis accounted for the six runs batted in. And the Grom had a much better start. The Grom is now 4-5 and five on the season. Last year at this time, the Grom had no losses. But Kyle Russo, now he has five. Do you, I mean, do you think this is just a product of the Aces struggling? Or do you think that hitters are starting to figure out the Grom's game? I think that's just the Grom struggling, and this seems to happen. And I'm not saying this is the case scenario, but isn't it funny that as soon as he got paid, he started having these significant struggles? And I understand there was a point in time where we all thought that he could be done for the rest of the season. There was a potential, uh, I believe it was with his shoulder was acting up, it was barking, or his elbow was barking, and they were saying Tommy John. And obviously... He didn't have it, and and that could also be affecting his pitching. But I really don't know because it's not just him. It's Syndergaard, it's Wheeler, it's Matt, Vargas. You can forget about it. <laughs> and now you uh, also another guy that you guys signed today, Irvin Santana, to a minor league deal, who probably will be brought up to be that fifth starter over Vargas potentially. Well, Vargas actually comes back Saturday. I mean, I, I don't feel looking forward to that, Tom or James, but you know he is coming back Saturday, whether you're looking forward to it or not. You have no choice. Does he have to come back? Is there a way to like have his key card not work? I mean, I'm pretty sure the Mets can give him like 48 million reasons why he's coming back. All right. <laughs> what would have made this event even funnier was 
if if Raji Davis took an Uber from West Virginia. Now, I know that would push James' <laughs> buttons a little bit more. I don't think he would make it in time of the game. No, not at all. But anyway, game four of this series against the Nationals. The, the Mets have took the first three. Earhart, you guaranteed a sweep in our group chat Wednesday night, and it happened. Uh, the Mets won this game 6-4. to 3-1 lead into the eighth inning. Giselman gives the lead away. You know, as a Met fan, you're thinking there and you're saying, well, this bullpen is just tremendous. And then the Mets actually have the best bullpen in the league in the month of May. 2.14 earned run average in the bullpen. And I think Gazelman up to that point was 12 scoreless innings. So yeah. he's actually been, he's been great in the month of May until, obviously, yesterday. Exactly. And then what was even crazier in this game was that Carlos Gomez, again, another guy who just brought up, the second guy just called up to hit a three-run homer this week. First it was, well, the third this week, uh, second guy called up this week to do which J.D. Davis did it on Tuesday. Raji Davis on Wednesday. Yesterday, Carlos Gomez. He was a Met 12 years ago. He is a Met once again. Steven Metz, just one run on 10 hits. He battled all day, man. He, he did. He, 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 liked, he was like Jacob deGrom, you know. He, he like had runners on base, but he found a way to get out of it. And that's something Matt's in the past. He gets the runners on base. He always struggles, but he found a way to get out of it. Exactly. And it, was, it was good to see yesterday. And then Evan Diaz, Edwin Diaz locks the door. 12 for 12 and save opportunities this season. Yeah. Good. And, and he hasn't even been that good yet either. He hasn't been that dominant pitcher, you know, the best guy yet, but he's still 12 for 12. He has not. Yeah. Well, this leads to the series tonight against the Detroit Tigers. And look, the Mets are struggling. You got Seth Lugo on IL with tendonitis, which means all these pitchers are hurt. And then you're seeing these guys like Anthony Kay and Binghamton flirting with no hitter. I mean, you got to start considering, yeah, you signed Irvin Santana. That's great. But should you consider Anthony Kay as a part of the starting rotation or at least work him up through the bullpen? Possibly. Do you think Kay sees the major league roster at all this season? Yeah, I don't know how soon it will be, but if we just hit a brick wall like sometimes we normally do, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him up in August, if not sometime in July. Oh, we will hit that brick wall, James. I know. It's a matter of time. It, it depends on how I'm fast sorry. it comes. we got to be a little pessimistic here. Will we see Anthony K? I don't know, because there's people down in the minors who thinks he's not ready for the major leagues yet. Yeah, uh, that's true. I know he's killing it in double-A, but I want to see this guy get into triple-A. Let's call this guy the triple-A. I know it's not that big of a jump, but, you know, call him the triple-A. What else he got? He'll see how good he is in battling triple-A hitters. So, you know, we talked about how the pitching has really been the struggling point, and the, the hitting has struggled at times, but the bright spot, of course, McNeil and Alonzo. Alonzo, the first Met rookie guy since 1965 to hit 16 home runs before the All-Star break. That wasn't the only storyline this week. We talked about the good. Let's talk about the bad. There was some beef between Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton, a feud between those guys. And I think Eaton called Frazier childish. First of all, that's not Todd Frazier. I don't think he's a childish person. I think it's just a competitive part of the game. I think Adam Eaton's the one who's childish. I think Eaton's that like sixteen year old girl, you know, you call oh you're ugly and just starts going out of insane. It's it's like come on, you're like oh you're getting mad because it's someone called you childish? Come on. Even better, his former manager, remember, Eaton and Frazier were teammates on the White Sox. Ozzie Guillen 
former White Sox manager, just comes out and says Eaton wasn't a favorite in the, in the clubhouse. He wasn't. There's a clear reason why. First of all, if you mess with Todd Frazier, there's something wrong with you, first of all. Yeah, 100%. He, he's one of the nicest guys of what I've heard and one of the vets and a leader within our clubhouse. And we know how Russo feels about nice guys. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, this this series for the Nationals, you know, Anibal Sanchez and Jeremy Hellickson now on the on the IL, that stinks for them. And then the Mets got Nimmo, McNeil, Vargas, Conforto, Cano, all on the IL. And then the Mets send Broxton to the Orioles, after designating him for assignment for 500000 in international spending money. Gotta love it. He was awful. There was no reason to elevate him to the Major League roster. There was no reason to sign him in the offseason. I knew it from the beginning. He was a defensive arm, and they only brought him because of the health concerns with Juan Lagares. And they were not sure what they were going to do with that third outfielder spot. I mean, it made sense. It made sense to bring him at the beginning of the season for depth, but now he's proven who he is. The comments he made, he should get more playing time. When you're hitting like 150 and, you know, you're, you're not showing why you belong in that locker room, you're not going to get the reps. That's part of how it is in this league, and he gets sent to the Orioles, and I'm happy he's gone. He wasn't a productive part of the team. And you have Ligaris, who's much better. Uh, not a great player, but, you know, he's edible. You just can't have two of them. And and you have Dom Smith, who also is capable of playing the outfield, who is batting three hundred, by and the way. J- J.D. Davis. Yeah, and J.D. Davis. So, yeah, you don't need him. Good riddance. Speaking of the Mets getting rid of people, look, I mean, Nimmo is obviously a guy you keep, but he needs to go to Syracuse. I've been saying this all week. He's a career backup at best. His bat is super pedestrian. He doesn't hit. He, he had a good half a season last year and now we're starting to see it's either strikeout or walk for him the strikeouts are heavily outnumbering the walks I don't think Nimmo's a good MLB player I don't he's a great guy but he's not a good skillful player at this level I don't he's just having a slump a really bad one he was the best offensive player on the Mets last season how could you say he's not a good MLB player I just said why the strikeouts are outnumbering the walks, and it's been like that for two months. And it was also like that at the end of last season when his average dipped so much. So he goes down for a little bit. Doesn't mean that he's a bad MLB player. He just at needs this to go down. level, he is. I don't know. I mean, I think Nimmo does need, you know, maybe get his confidence back. Maybe he just lost his confidence. You know, Hopefully. it happens to everyone. It happens to every player. You know, you lose your confidence after a while. Look at, you know, Miguel Cabrera. Guy's got a million, like a, so much money in his contract. Was he batting like 210 so far this year? It's horrible. He's been horrible. Yeah. Send Nimmo up when he's not hurt and get him in, hopefully get his back going. Uh, the Mets bring in, they claimed Aaron Alther from the Giants off waivers. They agree to a two-year minor league deal with Urban Santana today pending a physical. That's a two-time all-star pitcher, a guy the Mets could certainly use. That's not Dallas Keuchel, sadly. Yeah, sadly not Dallas Keuchel. Um, you know, something that the Mets would do. And then they bring back, um, or they go out of their way today, and they sign Matt Kemp to a minor league deal, uh, a guy who was fantastic with his bat at the beginning of last season. 
and the Mets bring him maybe a couple of years too late. But what do you think of this Matt Kemp signing? You're shaking your head, Mr. Kyle Earhart. It's typical Mets, man. It's just, yeah, let's just bring in the old guy. Yeah, remember Adrian Gonzalez last year? We got him in league minimum. What'd he do? Absolutely nothing. Jose Batista. Jose yeah, what'd he do? Absolutely nothing. Oh, Matt Kemp batting 200 at the beginning of the season. What is he going to do? Oh, writing down the wall. Absolutely nothing. You know, they could if they wanted outfield depth, why don't they just go after Adam Jones, who is making $2 million this year and has six home runs already and 24 RBIs. Hi, my name is Brody Van Wagner. Nice to meet you. Yeah, let's just find only, sign only his clients. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the series this weekend against the Detroit Tigers, a team that's lost nine in a row. Uh, the Tigers are out to a 4-1 league. This is a typical Mets series where they would lose this series. Remember, they have the Dodgers next week in L.A. Uh, Gregory Soto, who has not won a game this season against Noah Syndergaard tonight. Uh, and then tomorrow, there's a to-be-determined starter for the Tigers to go against Vargas, making his return. And then one of my favorite players in the league, Spencer Turnbull, pitches on Sunday against Zach Wheeler. That should be a very, very interesting matchup. Uh, so the Mets are down 4-1 to one in the fourth inning of this game. And so far, Nicholas Castellanos started out the scoring with an RBI. Noah Syndergaard, high pitch count already. Needs to, man, four runs, seven hits through four innings with seven strikeouts. With the home run given up. This is a weekend where the Mets just get swept by one of the worst teams in baseball. Noah Syndergaard, 78 pitches through four innings. Soto has 44 through three. This Tigers team's on a nine-game losing streak entering tonight. Oh, great. This is going to be a fun weekend to be a Mets This fan. is a Mets team. This is a Mets thing to do. You sweep the Nationals, and you can't you, you give up four runs early on to a team. That's lost nine in a row. And It was good April, guys. It was good. To put the icing on the cake here, guys, Yoannis Cespedes out for the year. Yoannis Cespedes fractures his ankles in Florida on a ranch. Would he fall out of a golf cart or something? No. Nope. Apparently he stepped into a hole and broke his ankle. Oh, boy. Damn, that's... I stepped in so many holes and I've never broken an ankle. Huh. Um, Must be like a one of a kind. Must be a Met thing, to be honest. Yeah. Is this... This was a violent fall, according to Brody Van Wagen. Is this the contract of death? Oh, yeah. Four years, $100 million. No, Els, Ellsbury and Cespedes are like the same person yeah, at this point. But... That's pretty... But, but at, at least the, with Cespedes, you had some hope. Ellsbury is just there. But but at the time, you know, like Mets fans were screaming to sign this guy because he carried us in the, to the playoffs. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah, and now Mets fans are like, oh, get this guy oh, out of here. Oh, now he could eat it. Yeah. Is, will Yoannis Cespedes ever play a game again for the Mets? I don't think he'll ever play a game in general, to be honest with you. Uh, he's going to be probably a consistent minor league player, and by the time that he builds himself up to back to MLB status, he'll probably be too old and he'll just say, let me take all this money that I've earned from the New York Mets and let me retire. Because he's, what is he right now? He's got to be at least 33 years old. 33, yep. 34? Correct. Yeah. And he's out for the rest of the season. He'll be 35 by next year. He probably won't play until middle next year. I, I do have a fun fact. Is it fun? I mean, it, for me, it's fun. He he has a house in Glen Cove. Oh, does he? Explain why he isn't up here than in Florida. Better weather. Yeah, well, if he was up here, he probably wouldn't have gotten hurt. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. We wish Yoannis Cespedes the best. Wish him well. When we come back, we will talk some New York Yankees baseball. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. 
Now back to Review and Preview on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Are you serious? We don't know if he fell off a horse. It's, it's okay. This is Review and Preview. Well, welcome back, uh, James. Wow. Just wow, man. Listen, we were talking about Tessimus before. I wouldn't be surprised if he fell off his horse. This is Review and Preview, folks, here on liuwave.org. Remember, you could listen to our show tonight on that link or Facebook Live. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco, Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart. Yes, that music bed was dedicated, I guess, to Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, We wish him the best. Uh, we're going to talk some Yankees baseball now. They are 32 and 17. They are now they are first place in the American League East by two games over the Rays, and they have the second best record in the American League, second best record in baseball. Actually, on a five-game winning streak, they've won nine out of their last ten. Now, guys, it was a great week for the Yankees last week. They beat Tampa Bay. Friday night, they won 4-3. to three. CC a great start. Six innings, one run, six hits. The Yanks were down 3-1 to one in this game, but Luke Voigt got an RBI to tie the game at three. And then Gio Urshela with the game-winning hit in the bottom of the ninth. Um, and then in game two, the Yankees lose in the 12th inning 2-1. to one, Where Luis Sessa gives up the game-winning home run to Austin Meadows on my fantasy team. Love it. It's it's funny because I was watching my game with my uncle and he goes, "This is the guy you have to watch." You ready? Next pitch, home run into right field. So yeah. I was like, "Good job, Uncle Bob. <laughs> Good job." And then DJ LeMay, who had two hits in this game, fifty-six hits on the season, and he's hitting three twenty-nine on the season. He has been fantastic. And then the Yankees, they took two out of three in this series over the weekend. Kendris Morales two-run bomb. Chad Green, eh. And then Cortez took over. Welcome back, Aaron Hicks. Two RBIs on the season. And then Brett Gardner with three hits and three RBIs. Yanks take two out of three. And then this week, they played the Baltimore Orioles. But first, we have a caller. Caller, please state your name and where you are from. This is Hank from Westchester. Hank, how are you? So, welcome back, first of all. This is your third time calling in. Great to have you. Uh, What is your question? Uh, well, first off, i got to ask you about uh, the much-maligned Mickey Callaway. Now, I know he's been one of those guys that's been getting a lot of backlash, like everywhere you look on social media, Twitter, and all that stuff. What is your full take on the manager? My full and take? I think I know I have an idea of what you're going to say, but give me like your like honest take on what Mickey Callaway is. My honest take is that it's not Mickey at all. It's Brody Van Wagner. And, you know, we spoke about this earlier in the week, Hank. Uh, Brody Van Wagner, he assembled this team. Yeah, Mickey Calloway is somewhat at fault, but it's not his fault that he has to put the lineup card out where you look at 5-9 to nine and it's an automatic out. As where Brody Van Wagner, yeah, he hasn't been here very long. The longevity factor is an issue, but Hank, if you think about it, I don't think Calloway deserves all this heat. I mean, as the manager of a baseball team, you have to take it, but the players got to perform, man, and they're they're not performing. <laughs> It's the players and the GM more often than not, if you ask me. 
Yeah, I, I would have to completely agree. And now, also, I another thing I want to get to. This is a little bit off topic, and I kind of just saw this question too. Can I get a quick uh, Stanley Cup Finals prediction from you? Stanley or Cup. Are you going to do that later? Stanley Cup Finals prediction. I will cover in a little bit, but uh, Stanley Cup Finals prediction. I say the Bruins in six. Ooh. I think they pretty much have it down. Um, I think uh, Kyle might. I, you have a question for Hank. Uh, I do have a question for you, Hank. I, I heard you're a Yankee fan, correct? Oh, hardcore Yankee. Yes. Fan. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, a, a lot of stuff going around today, like on the radio and stuff. When you know, when DD gets back, and let's say you know Judge and it, like everyone else gets back, where do you think Gio Urshela has a spot in this lineup on this team? Uh, to be honest with you, yes, I absolutely do. If you're gonna have a guy on this team who's hitting like over 300 and getting all these clutch hits with runners in scoring position. And someone who's honestly been a decent fielder, I think you have to keep Gio Rochelle on the team. The, the, pro- the problem is, though, if you obviously have Didi back, where do you play Gio Rochelle? Because you're not going to take you're not going to take out DJ LeMayu, and you're not going to take out Didi, who's been a superstar for the Yankees ever since he's been on the Yankees. Well, I'm sure you could split time with him and, D- and DJ LeMayu at third. See, th- this is where I disagree because DJ LeMayu is what batting what's the, what do we have here, Tom? Three three twenty nine this this season. How, how do you take that guy out of the lineup? Well, Gio's been I, batting better. He's been, he, well, yeah, he's it's a small percentage, but still. I get what you're well, saying. Well, I mean, true. You, you have a good point. But you could also put DJ at second at second if need be. Because DJ is a very versatile field. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I was just curious to hear more, more Yankees fans' point of view on that question. No, I I think you got to keep him. I think the infield depth is already pretty good, even without Andrew Harp and D right now. Hank, I have a question for you. You, uh, so... How many Yankee games have you been to this year? This year, um, 15 plus one in Camden Yards. You've been to 16 Yankee games? This year, yeah. And I, I So you were at a Yankee game. You were at one of the Orioles games this week at Camden Yards, right? Yes, I was at the third game. So, okay, so that third game, they won 7-5, to five, and that's where Torres hit the home run. Uh Talk about your experience in Camden Yards, uh, going there for the very first time, and where it ranks amongst your ballpark rankings. Well, for starters, I would have to say Camden Yards is a beautiful ballpark. I think it's got great aesthetics. You go inside, you got it's a newerish ballpark. I think it was built in like the early 1990s, but yet it still gives you that old school vibe and. If you really look around it and go to a game, it, it actually honestly has something for everybody, and it's very fan-friendly, and I like that. And so, to be honest with you, Camden Yards might honestly be possibly my favorite out of all the road bar parks I saw the Yankees play. Really? The others the others were City Field, Nets Park, and Fenway, and Miami. Hank. And Sorry, go, I, go I ahead. Probably put, I would put Camden at number one, and I think it's just kind of a shame that not too many people go there but then again to be fair when you have a team like yours playing of course you're not going to see too many fans in the ballpark and but. they just picked up Keon Broxton from the Mets so you know how that must feel if you're an, or- <laughs> <laughs> you're an Orioles fan uh, accumulating some trash there but uh, Hank um, you were on I, I, I think you were spotted on national television this week you were on Pix 11 I don't know if I'd call it national television. Well, actually, no. Then again, you do have a lot of fans watching on MLB TV from across the country. But, yeah, yeah, no, I 
that was crazy. I was like, I think I was cheering for Aroldis strike, striking out the first guy in the ninth inning, and apparently not long afterwards, one of my friends like took a picture of it or screenshotted me, and he sent me the text, and I'm like, and I noticed that in the end. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, my last question to you before we let you go here. Now, the Yankees, there have been a lot of... there. It's been rumored there's a lot of B-team players right now, uh, you know, picking up the slack in the Yankees now with a second-best record in baseball. Uh, realistically, on paper, they shouldn't have the second-best record in baseball, but they do. Why do you think that is? I'm curious to, well, from what you've witnessed this week and all the other games you've been to. There are two things. I, I want, for one thing, I think the fact that they play small ball and they and that they try to put the bat on the ball is a good reason as to why they're winning a lot of games. And for this, for the fact that they're winning a lot of games, I think you got to give credit to Cashman because he somehow finds a way to like find a lot of these guys who've been productive on the team. And I also another person you have to give credit to. You also got to give credit to Boone because if you look at what he's yes. been dealt with, and they're winning a lot of these games. Yeah, that's definitely on the manager too. But you also got to give credit to some to guys like Gio Rochella and DJ yes. LeMahieu, who were both very under the radar players and getting contact. Hits. I mean, let me give you this stat about Gio Rochella: the fact that he's hitting like 500 with runners in scoring position, two outs—that's big. And that's something they've had, the Yankees have sometimes had trouble doing in the past. Now, Hank, so I think the fact that they're getting timely hits—that goes a long way. And Hank, I'm sure we'll hit up stands one time soon. I hear that's a great place to go before Yankee games. Oh yeah, strongly <laughs> recommend it. All right. just, well, there's stands, Billy's dugout, good place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we let you go? All I gotta say is great show. Thanks again for having me, and um, excellent work, guys. No problem. Thank you very much, Hank. All right. <laughs> that was Hank Indictor. From Westchester, New York. Just a short trip up the Metro North. All right, guys. So, Hank brought up some really good points. Camden Yards is a very underrated ballpark. I think that's something everyone should consider going to at least once in their lifetime. It's a very nice, uh, fan-friendly environment, regardless of what team you cheer for. And, um, you know, there's actually a lot of Yankee fans there. There was a lot of Yankee fans at that game. I don't know if it's just a... Uh, unfortunate dismay of the Orioles' play, but uh, yeah. what do you think, Kyle Russo? Oh, well, you know, Yankee fans travel. Uh, the, you find Yankee fans at any stadium, no matter where they're playing. But it, it's all, almost a hundred percent on the fact that the yeah. Baltimore Orioles are just a terrible, terrible baseball team. <laughs> so let's analyze this or this Orioles series. The Yankees win Game One, ten seven, a game where J. A. Happ did not have his best stuff. Uh, Luis Sessa was not good either. The brighter note, though, Gary Sanchez did hit a grand slam, followed by a two-run homer by Glaber Torres. And I'm surprised Hank didn't bring this up. It's been, I'd say it's been a beautiful week in the Glaberhood. What do you think? He's been great. I, 12 home runs on the season? He just came off the IL last week? 10 home runs against this Baltimore team. And if you guys remember correctly... A lot of people really shouldn't be shocked by this because last year before the emergence of Induhar and when Glaber got hurt, Glaber was the guy. Glaber was in the running for AL Rookie of the Year. But then what happened was Glaber kind of fell off the map in the second half of the season because he got overshadowed by Induhar. Not that people forgot about him, but his publicity definitely went down. 
and now it's starting to come back up again. What do you think about that? Thank you. With all these players that have gone down on the IL to, to have this sort of savior absolutely obliterating Thank baseballs you. and getting wins in the win column uh, to to have, I, I don't even know what it is at this point, but people just keep on going down on the IL. I know CC with a knee problem, I believe he's getting his knee drained. Yeah. He's back yeah. on the IL. He's getting a couple shots. He should be back by next week, Boone said. Every, every person on the starting lineup is down on the IL right now, and these guys... Like Hank had brought up, they come out of Scranton, and, they, and they're like professional players as soon as... That's the best thing that this Yankees organization does farther than any other. In Scranton, it's like a professional baseball team. That's how they run it, and that's why they're ready for the major league because being a Yankee is not an easy thing to adjust to. All the stardom, the fan, fandom, being in New York, putting on the pinstripes, everything. Yes. And to have be ready like that and adjusting to the moment the way... Not just Urshela, but a guy like Clint Frazier that nobody's talking about, but has been absolutely phenomenal. Yes. It's a, you couldn't ask for more. Kyle Russo, Glaber Torres, second on the team in hits with 54. Yep. 12 home runs, 26 RBIs, and a 302 average, a 564 slugging percentage, and a 910 OPS. I'll take that if I were you. Oh, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. 32 and 17, I'll take it. And you want, you want to talk about gems. Game two, Yanks win 11-4. League-leading ninth win for Domingo German. 2.6 earned their own average. He's been fantastic this season. You look at his ERA, it is low. Like, I mean low. Uh, he, uh, 2.60, which considering what he was last year, 9-1, and one, not even two months into the season? Are you kidding? Like, I hate to say it, but... He's been very, very good. This guy, 57 strikeouts compared to just 16 walks. He's got Tanaka numbers in terms of strikeouts and walks, that ratio, which is great. His ERA is much lower, but Domingo German has been great. And this led Clint Frazier, a guy you just said nobody's talking about. He had two homers, five RBIs in this game, off a two-run bomb and then later on a three-run home run. Gary Sanchez, another four RBIs. Now, a lot of people don't like Gary Sanchez. A lot of people don't like his defense. Kyle Russo, what does Gary Sanchez bring to the table? I mean, is it just his offense, or what else does he bring? Leadership? I mean, he's been great. He leads the team in home runs, 15 to be exact. He really stands as one of those only players left, right? There's so many guys down on the IL. He stands as the only really active player that was from that I don't want to say Eric because it's only a year ago, two years ago, but from that winning mentality, that that team that was literally two innings away from going to the World Series against uh, the the L.A. Dodgers when they lost to Houston. But he brings, I guess, that sort of mentality, the leadership to to have guys like Clint Frazier come up and adjust easily, who have guys like uh, Gio Urshela, to have other guys in the locker room come around. And, and we all know... Gary Sanchez, he gets knocked for his defense, and rightfully so. It's pretty bad, but offensively, uh, you couldn't ask for any more in a catcher. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't mean to interrupt, but Kyle Earhart, do we have an update? I mean, I guess uh, we have Hedger. Hedger, however, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I have the James syndrome here. I'm sorry. Should I pronounce that? This, name? Uh, Maybe I'll get it this is a Mets game update, yes, right? Yes, uh, Hedger Ventimiglia. 
just hit a three-run bomb to give the Mets a 5-4 lead when they were down 4 nothing about a couple innings ago. So the Mets are now up 5-4. to four. Yes. Yeah. So you're telling me the Mets have a possibility of going on a five-game winning streak tonight. Oh, Tom, let's not carry away. Let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away. Let's knock on some wood over there. Let's bring it back to planet Earth here because right now we are on cloud nine, a little bit too prematurely. Let's bring it back to the better team in New York, the Yankees, please. But Kyle Russo... In order for the Yankees to produce this excellent work, you need to really a- a- analyze what's been working for them. It's not, not, it's not just Gary Sanchez. It's not just Gleyber Torres. It's a combination of both of them. And then they won game three against the Orioles, 7-5, to five, the game Hank and Dichter was at. And Estrada, this guy comes Tario out of nowhere Estrada. and gets yep. two RBIs. Yep. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Everybody, Talkman, Estrada. Top to bottom, these no-name guys are getting RBIs. And then since his call-up, he has 12 hits and 38 at-bats, 9 RBIs. And CeCe, you know, he gives you another 5 innings, and then Chapman with his 13th save leading to Game 4, where you have the luxury of sitting Glaber and Sanchez, considering all these other guys are injured. And then the Yankees slim out a 6-5 win. Doesn't make sense, right? Nope. Gio Ursula, two RBIs. Luke Voigt, the game-winning walk. The Yankees win by a walk. <sighs> Tanaka got the win. Holder did give up three runs in the eighth inning. The Yankees now on a five-game winning streak facing the ice-cold Kansas City Royals. Love it. Uh, the Royals, just two more wins than the Orioles, but tonight's game was postponed. Just gets easier and easier for the tomorrow. Yankees. You disappointed? No. Nope. Back Double to back wins tomorrow. tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> Just gets easier and easier, man. Um, come, to, come to the side, man. It's nice to root for a New York team. Gla- Glaber <laughs> Torres, 10 home runs against the Orioles this year. 10 of his 12 home runs have been against the Orioles. Gary Sanchez, 9, nine. of his 15 home runs against who? The Orioles. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the, the bad news, though, let's go over these injuries. And Duhar's out for the year, of course. Batantis, Bird, Ellsbury, Didi, Heller, Judge. Loisaja, M- Montgomery, Paxton, Severino, Giancarlo Stanton. Let's talk about Giancarlo Stanton. First rehab appearance, hit a home run. Then he gets hit by a pitch, and now he's out for at least another 10 days. Ouch. You shrug your shoulders cause, uh, because it's it, whatever. It's whatever. Because it, it is. Win most of the 32 game. and 17. It, does, it just literally does not matter. It literally does not matter. Could you imagine what this team would be but like if they didn't get don't hurt? Don't you think at some point if these guys don't come back when they're supposed to, this young hitting is going to get cold, and you get those days where you have a guy like Chad Green who goes like an inning in two-thirds and your offense can no longer produce this excellent work to get six, seven runs a game? Obviously you want these guys back. There's no doubt. These guys are all-stars. These guys, Judge, Stan, even Didi at one point in the season is supposedly supposed to be coming back. Yes. But – of course, you want these bats back in your lineup, these bomb hitting guys. Yeah, but it, it does. It just doesn't seem to matter right now. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it because this lineup is pretty impeccable. You wouldn't think it from the from the names on the stat sheet, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I got a question for you. Go shoot. And for any Yankee fans, you can comment on Tom's Facebook live feed or my Facebook live feed. Feel free to comment. Um. Now, say everybody comes back, your normal all-star players yep. comes back fully healthy, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And these no-name guys are still producing. What do you do then? Because the the all-star guys that 
produce to win, you're supposed they're expecting to come back and play right right then and then. I'm, I'm, I'm right happy now. you brought that up because yeah. I was surprised Hank didn't bring it up. Well, because Kyle had brought it up. Yeah, before. I was going to say, who do you send down? Ask that to Hank. Who yeah. do you send down? The one name that, again, for no reason, not brought up, Clint Frazier. Uh, he's always the guy that seems to get the butt end of the stick, and when the guys come up, that he's, again, going to get the butt end of the stick because you're going to have to play Giancarlo Stanton. You've got to put Judge in right field. There's no doubt about it. And Duhar's done for the year, so you're going to keep Gio Urshela probably at third base. And then the problem that lies now is, could you put him at DH? Again, maybe, probably not, though, because there's better bats, like we were talking about DJ LeMay, who might not start in the infield but get the DH spot. Or you have a guy, sometimes you'll have Austin Romine might start, and Gary Sanchez, you're going to leave his bat out of the lineup? Wait, wait, wait. You're going to tell me you sent Clint Frazier down before Tyro Estrada and Cameron Maven? Yes. Well, James is talking about when everybody comes up. Right, but those two guys will be the first two to go back down. Well, yeah, but when everybody, how many guys did you just read off, Tom? Uh, a book, and we did not count Troy Tulowitzki. Well, he's he's, he's never coming up. That's fine. I'm okay with that. It's like Whoa. he never was a Yankee. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. Okay. Listen, yeah. listen. I I have to agree with Russo here. Uh, I think when they all come, when Judge comes back, how do you not play a guy like Aaron Judge? Like, and and I know Giancarlo last year struggled, but the guy, the guy two years ago hit 60 home runs and won NL MVP. Yeah, I know he struggled, dude. It takes time to play in New York. Like we all know that New York's the hardest place to play in any sport. I think Greg Bird's going to get traded. I don't think Frazier's going down. He has I think Frazier's going to get traded too. Trade value. Greg I, Bird literally has zero trade value. I think Frazier's going to get traded so the Yankees can get that elite starter, as in Madison Bumgarner. I don't think so. Come trade deadline. That, so, that, that's what I look, believe. Let's talk about this series. The doubleheader will be tomorrow. It was supposed to be Chad Green and Jacob Yunus tonight, but that did not happen. Happ against Duffy, that was scheduled for tomorrow. So that'll be the doubleheader. And then Sunday, Domingo German against George Lopez. Look, Sunday you have it easy. Germán nine and one against a guy who's zero and five and a six earned run average. Guess what? That's a trap game. Let's That's a f- game you might lose. Let's to be go, quite honest. Just go for another hundred game, a hundred one season. Just go on for that it. note. Uh, talking a lot of baseball tonight. We're going to step aside for another quick break. When we come back, we're going to have some MLB news and a Stanley Cup Finals preview. You're listening to Review and Preview here on the Wave, the sound of LIU. This is Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Well, hello and good evening. Welcome back to Review and Preview. Kyle Russo, whose voice was that? Was it you? That was my beautiful voice. All right. Uh, We're back here on the show. Welcome back to Review and Preview. We are back in that New York group. Joined alongside Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart, James Montefusco. We do broadcast the show here on the Long Island University Post Campus in Brookville, New York. We are podcasting live on the wave, liuwave.org, broadcasting on Facebook Live. You can watch our Facebook stream, comment on our live feeds, and you can also listen to our podcast on anchor.fm slash review and preview. So... We just talked about the Mets and the Yankees. Let's get some MLB news this week. The Braves made an acquisition with the Seattle Mariners for former Met and journeyman Anthony Swarzak in an attempt to bolster their bullpen. Um, Other big news, Mike Miner, as of Monday night, 29 straight scoreless innings pitched at home. That's a club record. And this was a guy the Mets could have got in the offseason. Who's on the trading block right now, too. Exactly. Texas trying to trade him. So... 
Texas, uh, 24 and 23. Uh, they're seven games back of the Astros, good enough for second place in the AL West. And that goes to show you how uh, how much Mike Trout really means to that team because without him, they're they're, they're in last, uh, which is a shame. They're just wa- wasting years of Trout. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays was named American League Player of the Week on Monday, the rookie. Uh, hottest prospect in baseball coming up, and he hit four home runs last week, guys. Less up. Uh, Blue Jays 20-30, and 30, 10 games under 500, and Vlad Guerrero Jr., man, tell you something. He might be the next best thing in this league. Kyle, Kyle Russo, as you regain your composure here in left field, uh, I would like for you to analyze why Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the best prospect in baseball. What makes him better than everybody else? Is is dad part of it, or is it more of his... If you analyze his swing alone, it's like a carbon copy of his father. It's unbelievable. And just the power that he has behind the bat is absolutely incredible. But, um, you know, he'll be a cornerstone for this team uh, to build around. Uh, I know they brought up another guy. What's, I forgot what his name is. a pitcher for Toronto, and they brought up a and I, I didn't write it down, but I should have. It was a fun fact that it was the first time in MLB history where two players from past generation, past era, played together, and then their sons played on the same team together. I forgot what his, I believe his name was Cavo something. Uh, he's a pitcher for Toronto. Is, but but they did bring up Derek Law recently, if that's who no, you're that's talking about. No, that's not who about. it was. Um, Let me search it up for you. Because Clay Buckles, Clay Buckles went on the uh, – IL, so still getting used to calling it IL, man. Uh, man, other news: the Minnesota Twins, surprisingly, best record in baseball. They currently sit at thirty-three and sixteen, uh, just a game in front of the Yankees. Uh, Minnesota, speaking of the Twins, they tied a franchise record with eight home runs yesterday to beat the Los Angeles Angels sixteen to seven. They now join the Texas Rangers as the only two teams with multiple eight home run games or more in a season. Last year on the show, we did a thing where the Yankees were chasing the Seattle. Well, we do a lot of things on the show, but yes, we did do a thing where the Yankees. Did we do a thing? We did. The Yankees were chasing down the Seattle Mariners for the team home run record in MLB history. Well, the Yankees broke that record with 267 home runs in the 2018 campaign. Well, the Minnesota Twins have 98 home runs, an MLB best. Through the first 49 games, they are on pace to hit 324 home runs and shatter the Yankees' record from last season. Will this record of the Yankees last? My vote is no. It'll last. It'll last. Easy for you to say. Well, it'll last. They're just having a hot streak right Explain now. Explain why it'll last. It'll last because they, they, they're having a hot month right now. And just like we were talking about before, teams have a hot month and then they cool down. And that's what's going to wind up happening. I'm not saying that they can't get close to it. I'm just saying I don't think they're going to beat it. They still have a long, long time to get to that number. I disagree. There's going to be a team that's going to easily beat it. Oh, yeah, but that's not the question. Is there going to be a team that easily beats it? I just don't think the Twins this season are going to beat it. Eddie Rosario, C.J. Crone. These guys are good, Kyle. I know. That's why they're the best team in baseball, but I don't think that they're going to want to break in the record. They'll come close to winning. 
uh, breaking the record. Oh, no, they'll get close. You know? I don't think that they're going to beat it, though. You can't have almost 100 home runs in 50 games and have another, what is that, another 110 games and not get close. Max Kelper, 10 home runs. Do you know who that is, Max Kelper? Yep. He's a member of the team that the Yankees uh, beat last season a lot. Actually beat him this season a lot, too. I can't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> which MLB ace is struggling the most? Chris Sale. It's, it's, it's hands down. You can't go from MVP, Cy Young winner, to get your money and be absolutely horrible. He didn't get his first win until, what was it, about a week ago, two weeks ago, he didn't get his first win. He started off the season about 0-5, terrible ERA, couldn't strike anybody out. He's probably the worst. He's, he's coming around slowly, but he had a horrible start. Uh, Garrett Cole is still pretty bad, too. 4-5, and 4.11 earned run average. Uh, Marcus Stroman, 2-6. and six. Anibal Sanchez, 0-6. Oh I know these guys aren't aces, but we're talking about aces. I mean, I think you really got to consider Cole, DeGrom, and Freeland as the worst three. Because DeGrom's ERA... DeGrom, really? Is at 3.7. I mean, his ERA was under 2 last year. It's nearly... But you can't... But that can't be, like, the standard, though. That's that's all-time record-setting performance. My I mean, vote is Garrett Cole. Oh, yeah. My vote is Garrett Cole only because of the team that he has around Wasn't him. your vote Chris Sale? No, to agree with your vote, oh. the Garrett Cole would be a good option considering the team that he has around him. But you're talking about Annabelle Sanchez. He necessarily doesn't have the star potential power that these other guys do. And you, and you look at a guy, back to what I was saying about Chris Sale, they, they have fantastic players around him, and for him to only have one win to show for it is pretty embarrassing. Especially the bar in which he's set throughout his career. I would happen to agree. On that note, it's our time to reveal our MLB Player of the Week. As you know, each week across the MLB, we pick our favorite player who we think has done the best job, and the last couple of weeks, my pick has been stolen. So I'm going to go first this week and say the Atlanta Braves third baseman, 22-year-old Austin Riley. Uh, he has been the second-best hitter in the league this week. He has five home runs, 12 RBIs since being called up. He's only appeared in 36 games, and on the season, he has a 389 average it's part of the reason why the Braves are second place right now in the NL East, and he also has 10 RBIs and four home runs in his last seven games. That's tied for the most RBIs in the last week. Therefore, Austin Riley is my MLB Player of the Week. Did anybody know who that was before this very moment? Yes, I did. I know yes, you did. Yes, I did. No, not really, to be honest. James, who is your player of the week? My player of the week is somebody that took a $238 Uber ride to get to City Field, Rajay Davis. Hey, don't make fun of him. He got you I'm the not, win. He, got, no, you the he win. got us the win, and he first MLB at bat, he had a bomb. So, Well, met at bat, yeah. Yeah. Kyle. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with... Someone that's very uh, played the Baltimore Orioles this week. Literally, yeah, made, literally, literally made him look like a, like a team that the Ducks would play. But uh, Gary Sanchez, he hit a three-run homer in the ninth inning in game. I think it was game 
it was game. It was oh, game yeah, two. Yeah, it was game two. And then the next day, basically the next inning after, basically because it was the first inning, hit another three run homer. So I mean, I I know he's playing the Orioles, but come on, man, that's that's pretty impressive. Yep. And we're going to stay with the Yankees. Play with Torres. Seven home runs, nine RBIs in the last week of baseball play. Incredible. We all picked really good players of the week. I think they're all valid. Uh, now, as this just in, as we wrap up our baseball talk of the night, Peter Alonzo hits a 401-foot home run to put the Mets on top of the Detroit Tigers, 6-5 to five in the bottom of the fifth inning. That is Peter Alonzo's 17th home run of the season. And on this year to date, Peter Alonzo is now tied for second in the major league in home runs with George Springer and Cody Bellinger and only trails Christian Yelich. Those are some prestigious names. Those are very big names. Congrats to him. Off the left field foul pole, too. Exactly. So that's more home runs than Gary Sanchez has produced. And any Yankee. Yikes. How many wins do the Mets have? About 17, right? And we move on. 24. Right. And we move on. Anyway, uh, and we move on to hockey. Yes. So the St. Louis Blues, a team that has never won the Stanley Cup final and a team that has not appeared since 1970, returns after defeating the San Jose Sharks in six games. They beat the Sharks by a score of 5-1 to one on their home ice in St. Louis. On January 3rd, this team had the worst record in the National Hockey League, and now they are handed, heading to the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic season That's... for Craig Baruch, the interim head coach, and the Blues. No, it's it, I mean, a great season. I mean, January 3rd, they were in last place, not even in the West, Tom, in the NHL. Yeah. And they've basically been playing playoff hockey since January 3rd, which is very impressive to keep all <laughs> being last place to the Stanley Cup Final. I couldn't fathom that. Jordan Bingington. Yeah. Oh, yeah. rookie goalie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's He's been carrying them. Him and Jaden Swartz, who has 12 goals this playoffs, is absolutely carrying this Blues team. He's going to win yeah. the Conn Smythe. He's, just, he's been absolutely lights out for this team. Yeah. And as an interim head coach, getting them this far when they were at the oh, very yeah. bottom yeah. at some point during the season. To gain the locker room's yeah. trust, uh, mm-hmm. unbelievable. And now for him, he's pro- other teams are probably looking at he brought them up from nowhere. I mean, he may be, suitor yeah, as another team coach, yeah. or or he they, he might just resign with the Blues, yeah. yeah. Which which obviously the Blues would want that could happen yeah. too, yeah. Uh, and O'Reilly, great, great player, Tarasenko, Tarasenko. great player, Jaden Schwartz, Jaden Schwartz. Oh, absolutely. The things I would do to get Tarasenko on the Islanders, probably half of them are illegal, but I would do it. <laughs> nice. He's such a great player. Very nice. Oh. Uh, yeah, and the last time the Blues were in the finals, ironically enough, who did they face? The Boston Bruins. Yes. So let's talk about that. All right. The Boston Bruins, uh, a little bit easier time, to say the least, than the Blues had against the Sharks. Uh, where the, the Blues were the seventh seed, right? Because the Avs were the eighth. Yeah, I believe so. Right. Yeah, I believe you're yeah, correct. I think, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, because yeah. they played Winnipeg in round one. And yes. Beat them, which yes. Not not surprised because of the goalie play. Uh, so, Boston wins their series against the Hurricanes in four games. This was a series that was dominated by veteran play. Patrice Bergeron, 
David Posternak, Marchand, veterans, guys who have been there, done that, and even Chara, his presence. I know he didn't play. I know he got hurt, uh, mm-hmm. and he was standing on the, the bench by the bench in Game Four by the tunnel after the game. Joins his team on the field and celebrates. The impact of these guys has been fantastic all season because if you're the Boston Bruins, this hockey playoff was wild this season. This was the most unpredictable playoff I've ever I've ever witnessed. Yeah. Uh, who could have predicted the Lightning losing in four games to the Columbus Blue Jackets in round one? Actually, yes. One person did. He's sitting at the board. His name there, is James Montefusco. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. did. He didn't pick a sweep, but he had Columbus, man. Um. <laughs> Yeah, March on the guy who had 100 points this season, uh, 64 of those assists, and this Bruins team top to bottom from Krug. Uh, Tuka Rask has been phenomenal, one to, of the best goalies in hockey. To, to McAvoy, who grew up in Long Beach, actually. One of the best one of the best players that defensively they have. Charlie McAvoy. Yes, Charlie But McAvoy. the Bruins saw the first two teams in front of them in their conference falter in round one. The... Uh, the Lightning. Capitals and the Lightning. Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, that just goes to show you right there that Bruce Cassidy has done a phenomenal job coaching his team, and they're very well deserving of being here. After a team that almost went out in the first round, they beat Toronto in seven games. They got JT out of the playoffs, which I'm, which I'm sure everyone here in the studio was rooting for Boston in that first round at least. And now, I mean, you look at them, they're in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, this is the year of Boston, man. Yeah. First time it's... since 2013 where they won. They also, 2011. Look, it's a good Bruins team, man. So, uh, fun fact, as we preview this final, they Boston and St. Louis are the only two cities to meet for all big four titles. So, the Bruins and the Blues, of course. NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics against the St. Louis Hawks back in the day. The New England Patriots versus the formerly known St. Louis Rams. Now, the L.A. Rams, we're not talking about this past year's Super Bowl. We're talking back in 2002. Kurt Warner versus Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Boston Red Sox against the St. Louis Cardinals. In 06. Right. So the first game, game one of the Stanley Cup final, is Monday night in Boston. Who do we got in the series? We're just going to go right into it. (laughs) Waste no time. Who wants to go first? I am going to go with Boston in five. Yikes. Kyle Russo. I'm going to have to agree with James Boston in five. Kyle Earhart. You know, I hate the year of Boston. So I'm going to go St. Louis in seven. I think St. Louis, Bennington's going to have a great series, and Jaden Schwartz is just going to continue to be Jaden Schwartz. I like it. I said the Bruins in six on the phone earlier with Hank and Dichter, so I can't go against that. All right, guys. And, of course, as you know, um, game one is Monday night in Boston. Boston will have home ice in the series. They have the home ice advantage. Now, you guys are Islanders fans. Of course, you heard about the Brock Nelson signing. Six years, $36 million, re-signed. What does this mean for guys like... Anders Lee, Jordan Everly, Robin Leonard, what's what's going to happen? What's your uh, outlook? I think people like I, in my opinion, I don't think Jordan Everly will have a spot on this team next year. Nope. I think the Islanders will try to get deeper, better players than Jordan Everly, which they can with all all the money they have. And for Anders Lee, 
see, this is what I don't like because I think it's a little too much for Brock Nelson for a guy that barely scores 20 goals a year. I know he had a great year last year with Trots and he had an actual team. It is what it is. But I would like I would like Brock Nelson the four million range so he can give Lee this contract. I think this Lee was perfect for this contract. Mm-hmm. But now they're gonna have to give Lee a higher contract because he's a much player, better player than Nelson is. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I like about the Nelson contract is that it's structured nicely. In his first year, he gets eight million. In the second year, he gets five million. So for me, that tells me that Lou Lamarillo has a plan for twenty twenty. Yeah. On that note, we are going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will have our team of the week and talk some NBA playoffs. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening, and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco, Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart. One hour down, one hour to go. It is time for our team of the week, and tonight should be pretty interesting as to who we pick. Kyle Earhart, you are first. I'm going to go with the actual St. Louis Blues team that was out of it in January 3rd in the Stanley Cup final. Pretty impressive. And they beat the Sharks. So, that's my team of the week. James. I am going to go with the F- Miami Marlins. They have won the last six in the row. He's right. And, and, and then it looks like they're going to win against the Nationals yeah. tonight, too. Yeah, that is a great. That's perfect that's team of the week. Team. Yeah. That's a perfect team of the week. Alcantara. Eight strikeouts. Thanks, yeah. James. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Thanks. No problem. I mean, he's worthy team of the week. That's who I was going to pick. Oh. <laughs> I, I knew that once you said it went down. Then you could pick the Raptors then. <laughs> Kyle Russo, your team of the, the week. New York Yankees. Nine out of the last ten have been W's with absolutely no star performances, but hard work and rookies on the come up. New York Yankees. My team of the week. <laughs> yes. New York Mets. I like it. What? <laughs> They're making moves. Four-game winning streak. Possibly about to be five if they beat Detroit tonight. And this is a perfect case scenario where, on paper, they should end the weekend on a seven-game winning streak where they went undefeated this week. Therefore, my team of the week. I like it, Tom. I like your thinking. I recover very well. Thank you, James. So, um, we go out west. The Western Conference Finals took place over these last this last week, I should say. The first time in NBA history that brothers met in the Conference Finals, Seth Curry versus Steph Curry. The Blazers, they were blazed off. They were swept 4 nothing. Fire was put out by the Splash Brothers. By the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. Now, game one, Warriors dominate 116-94. to This was a game that C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard combined for under 40 points. This was unacceptable. Steph Curry went off with 35. Clay had 26, you know, a series that did not see Kevin Durant. Everyone that checked in for Golden State scored just about except for one guy. So, I mean, game one was... A typical Golden State win. There's really no arguments there. I think, you know, clearly game one at home, it was a low-pressure situation for Portland because they didn't have to. 
exactly win game one, although it would have helped. But oddly enough, I think this game one win, it really set the tone for this series. It really did. Yeah, especially by the amount they won by, winning 22 points in the first game of the series. Yeah. It's just not good. No, not good enough. Uh, and I think the problem was the lineup that Portland had to start this series. Uh, Cantor, Aminu, and Harkless as the three front court guys just wasn't good enough. Portland had to make some changes. They weren't getting the contributions they wanted from the bench. And they only shot 36% from the field. Leading to game two, the Warriors win a close one. In a game that saw Portland having a double-digit lead that they blew, uh, the Warriors won this game 114-111. And realistically, Portland should have won this game. This was the game that put the Warriors over the top in the series, I think. A great game for Seth Curry where he swiped Steph three times, had 16 points off the bench, four for seven behind the arc. Rodney Hood pitched in. Lillard and McCollum were great. And it was just a game where they got really no bench production outside Hood and Curry. Myers Leonard had seven points and Turner had six, but the starters did not produce enough and the bench needed to step up, and they didn't. They didn't. This was a game that Andre Iguodala started. Uh, I mean, he pretty much started the whole series, but it was a game that he started, had the game-winning swipe off of Lillard. So that goes to show you that defense really does win championships. They really do. Andre Iguodala had the game-winning play in this game. Without him, Golden State does not win game two. <laughs> Defense, dude. Defense, man. Draymond Green was fantastic, 16-10. and 10. Steph Curry had 37 points. And, of course, Kevon Looney with 14 off the bench. A perfect 6-for-6 six six from the field. I mean, I don't care who you, who you are in that Golden State front court. You don't need Boogie Cousins. You have Andrew Bogut. You have Kevon Looney. You have Jacob Evans. You have Jordan Bell. It's really a rotation between Bell, Looney, and Bogut as the three centers, if you really think about it. They all get about, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game in the series. Yeah. And when none, none of them are in, Golden State just goes small. They just go small. And, yeah, so that was game two. Game three at the Moda Center. Fans are loud. Again, another double-digit lead for Portland. I'm pretty sure Portland in games two, three, and four had 17-point leads in every single one of those games. I'm almost certain. They beat the Blazers. Golden State did 110-99. to Draymond Green, a triple-double. Steph Curry again, 36. Clay was good. CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard again, this time only combining for 42. The only bright spot of this game, really, for Portland was Myers Leonard, who was called to start, got 16 in 31 minutes of action. This was the beginning of the Myers Leonard coming out party seven years later since being drafted out of Illinois. And Evan Turner had a good game as well. It just wasn't enough. As good as Myers Leonard is, I don't understand why you have him in the game with five seconds left trying to defend a pick and roll against Draymond Green when you know Golden State is going small. Why is Evan Turner or Al Farouk Aminu not defending Draymond Green? I understand why you have Leonard in for offense, but I'm pretty sure. I don't remember if they had a timeout left or not. I don't think they did, but that's a situation where you cannot have him on Draymond in a pick-and-roll situation. You need a rotation from the wing guy, and it didn't come. Even if you put Mo Harkless on him, there was nobody in foul trouble. Nobody had more than four fouls at that very moment. 
which I don't understand. It was a game where neither McCollum or Lillard shot well. Turner and uh, Leonard, thank goodness for them. But Portland, again, a series. Zach Collins did not play well. Zach Collins racked up fouls quick in the series. Pretty sure it was either game one or two. I think it was game one. He racked up five fouls in like ten minutes. Couldn't stay on the court. Why? Golden State knows Portland lacks that front court depth without Joseph Nurkic. Attack. Attack. If that doesn't work, you have the best shooting squad in the league. Chuck them. That's how they were winning ball games. Um, look, in game three, this was a game that there was no. Uh, well, this was a game where Iguodala got hurt, and he really didn't play the second half. In fact, Golden State started Damian Jones in this game at the center position. So you really need to consider the factors how Golden State had other guys step up again. Alfonso McKinney, 21 minutes. Kevon Looney, 27 minutes. Quinn Cook was good. Even Jonas Yurepko making plays. Who do you think Kyle Earhart was the biggest factor off the bench in this series? I mean, for me, it was it was Looney. I think Looney played fantastically on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. And I guess if you want to say for the Portland, I guess it would be Seth Curry. He had one good. He had a great game. Game, like you said, Tommy. Game. Uh, it was game three. Yeah, game three. Where it, you know he had sixteen points. Yeah, and he like that. stole the ball from his brother three times. He during. I think he made a shot before halftime too. I think. I think I believe so. Yes. I'm just I'm just ashamed that Portland three times they were left by 15 plus points. Yeah, it was rough. And they choked it. Game four, they were also up big in this game. Myers Leonard had a career high 30 points. That includes NBA and college. And Steph and Draymond both had triple doubles. They took over a game with no Andre Iguodala. Alfonso McKinney got his first start. In this playoff game, he had 12 points. He was such a factor in this game. Good job by McKinney playing defense. Made some good passes as well. I mean, he didn't have any assists, but, you know, just moving the ball around, getting guys open for threes. And Kevon Looney again, 12 points, as you said. Big factor. Sean Livingston, a big factor. Quinn Cook, Andrew Bogut off the bench. It was great to see. A series that pretty much saw a different starter at center every game, and that's crazy that Golden State has the luxury to do that. Just mix and match lineups. No Durant. No Boogie. Boogie and Iggy are two excellent defenders. They are two excellent defenders, and that is a problem when you don't have them. But it wasn't a problem because of how good Golden State is. It's kind of like the Yankees, for example. They just plug players in. And they make plays. These guys you don't hear of much, like Alfonso McKinney and Jordan Bell and Kavon Looney. Unfortunately, Golden State just didn't have it in the series, guys. Myers Leonard, the 30 points wasn't enough. Myers Leonard had 25 points at halftime in the first half. Who would have thought Myers Leonard would make such an impact in this series? Unfortunately, it didn't result in a win. But to have 30 points and 12 rebounds, it's pretty darn good. Yeah, I think Portland really missed, missed Nurkic in the series. Yeah, this uh, was the series that got them. I, I, I think if they have Nurkic, I think they take Golden State maybe to the limit, maybe take two two games, but really missing Nurkic in the series for sure. I have a question for you. Is it, is it fair to say that Portland should have been up three to one in this series at this point? 
considering they blew double-digit leads in games two, three, and four. I, frankly, the leads were lost in the fourth quarter. But that's not the fault that lack of defense. That's the fault of inability to keep up that same consistency shooting-wise. Well, the effort was not there offensively either. Well, that's what I'm talking about. If you look at we were just talking about the combination of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. Up until Game 4, that's really when they showed up. And they still couldn't do it, even with the assistance of 30 points from Myers Leonard. And it just and it's it's sad to see in a Portland team because you really look at it. Golden State was missing two of the best players in the entire world, and they weren't even able to pull out a game. And it's, it's I know you I know you guys rep with Nurkic and saying his defensive presence, the ability that Golden State had to drive the lane, but that's not where this the winning came from. They couldn't guard the perimeter. Yes, they drove the lane at points and times, but they couldn't guard the from behind the arc. Seth Curry was the only guy who could somewhat contain his brother. His, I mean, Steph Curry just went off in the series. It goes to show you, he is the engine that guides that team. And Golden State now makes their fifth straight NBA Finals. Since Steve Kerr took over at the coach, as the coach, there has not been a year where he has not made the NBA Finals. Despite trailing more minutes in the series than they led. Yes, you did hear that correctly. Golden State trailed for 101 minutes in this series and led for only 83 minutes. So Portland led majority of time in this series. They couldn't win a game. Yeah, no, and it's it's frustrating for I'm sure for their fans must be pounding their head through the wall. I mean, if you lead most of the games and then lose. I mean, yes, it's the Golden State Warriors, but at the same time, you if you have such a big lead, you got to find ways to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. I don't care in what ways you do. You just got to find a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the third year in a row, fun fact, that Rodney Hood has been swept by the Warriors in the playoffs, twice with the Cavs in the finals, and now... Very unfortunate. Yeah. Crazy, huh? And this time with Portland. Uh, bad omen, for sure. But... If you're Portland, you're proud of yourselves. You made it to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in the last 19 seasons since 2001. And this is a team that everybody was saying couldn't get there. They couldn't get there. I believe that they can get there. Charles Barkley did too. Exactly. I didn't think they would get past Golden State, and Chuck did, which is pretty bold words. Even after the Nurkic injury, he still said they would get there. But I think Cantor him not emerging as the third scorer it really brought down Portland because if you had him as that third scorer and Rodney Hood and Myers Leonard put up the numbers that they did now you're talking Portland could win a couple games and they still could have won a couple games I never like to put injury into factor but uh, again rumored with Portland throughout the series that Damian Lillard was dealing with cracked ribs I believe he got injured in game two or game three with the separated shoulder his arm was hanging on by a thread the entire series exactly that probably leads to the defensive woes, especially at Cantor playing his starting center position. But it's very unfortunate for this Portland team because you say, what else do they need to possibly do to improve this team? Because you really say this was one of the best assembled teams that Portland has had in a long time, obviously knowing that they haven't been to the Western Conference Finals in such a long time. And you say, what could they possibly add on to this team to make them better? Exactly. And realistically, you really can't make this team better. I mean, they just need to shoot more efficiently and shut down and close out games like James was alluding to. You can't blow 15, 17-point leads in games and expect to win the game. I'd agree with that. 
And now the Warriors only become the second team to make a fifth straight NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics did it back in the 50s. And realistically, now the question is, will Durant and Boogie play in the NBA Finals? Will they be ready for Game 1? That's the real question at hand. I mean, I've heard that Durant won't be ready for Game 1. So we'll see. I mean, they've been excelling without Durant there anyway. So, you know, even though people are like, well, Durant needs to be on this team, but if you look at it, they've been winning games without Durant. Do you think that's his worst nightmare? Yeah, it has to be. think that's his worst nightmare? I'm pretty sure when he was walking in that locker room, he's like, this is a bigger injury. I'm going to miss a lot of time. This is going to hurt my free agency and probably the chemistry I have with this team. Not alluding to the chemistry and not alluding to the free agency because he's going to get his money no matter where he goes. But the fact that he came to a team, you know, that lost to the finals after this historic season, regular season that they had, and convinced him to come to the team due to the fact that they lost in the finals, blowing a 3 1 lead. And now showing that they could just absolutely dominate anybody to play without him. And again, James, you were talking about not being there for game one. He won't be there until potentially game three, if anything. Yeah. Because with this Warriors team, you don't even know if it'll go past four games, to be honest with you. I think Curry and Thompson are trying to prove, because I think they know that Durant's not coming back, and they're trying to prove that they don't need him. And clearly, they're proving it. Thompson, especially today, after what? Oh, yeah, not making any All-NBA teams, yeah. So and he, thirty million dollars too. Yeah, he didn't get it because he didn't make all. Thompson NBA must have a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't oh, want Durant back. Neither of them are going to be ready for game one. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, look, Blazers, future of the team. Who comes back? Well, they lock Lillard up, four-year, hundred ninety-one million dollar extension, and of course today, Terry Stotts extended to a multi-year deal, and then they also extend the president of basketball operations, Neil Olshey through 2024. Good. They all deserve it. Now, all you got to worry about is C.J. McCollum, Jake Lehman, and another guy or two. Yeah. Well, Damian Lillard getting the max. Four years, $191 million. That takes up a big chunk of... Well, McCollum will still be back. He wants to play in Portland. Oh, he wants to play, but it all matters about money. McCollum's know? coming back. Okay. He's coming back. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. We hope so. And on that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference playoffs. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening. And welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside James Montefusco, Kyle Earhart, Kyle Russo. And crazy enough, Aaron Alther, first pinch hit at bat as a Met, solo shot, home run. Maybe there is hope for Matt Kemp. <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> this is a guy who has a batting average under 100 this season. <laughs> .065, and he comes in and hits a solo shot. He's going to help you win a game. Take Have what you get. Day. Seven six is the score in the top of the seventh inning. All right, guys, so the East. Giannis. Kawhi, best matchup in the Eastern Conference all season. These are the two best players in the Eastern Conference, hands down. Say what you want about Kyrie Irving. These are the best two players in the East. Bucks win game one, 108-100. In a game, Kawhi had 13 points and Lowry had 30, but there was not a third party to help. Brooke Lopez, the leading scorer in this game for Milwaukee, 16 fourth-quarter points, 29 for the game. Miritich was solid. Giannis 
had a decent game, nothing too special, but Brooke Lopez was fantastic. Game one was great, and the bench for Milwaukee showed up. Game two, Bucks win again. They blow out Toronto, 125-103, a game that Leonard, another game he had 31 points, but this time he, there was no supporting cast. Giannis had 30 points, 17 rebounds. Brogdon had 14 off the bench, and Ersan Ilyasova, 17. Ersan Ilyasova, a guy who has been in the league for a while now, and realistically, you got to consider how he has been on Milwaukee before, and he is a guy who's been there, done that, for several teams now in the NBA, and his veteran presence coming off the bench is part of the reason why you see George Hill able to come in and put up solid numbers. Pat Connaughton, whoever it is, guys come in for Milwaukee, and they contribute. Game two is great. This leads to game three. You're up north. Toronto. Nova Scotia. Double overtime. It took the Raptors to beat the Bucks 118-112. In a game that Giannis had 23 rebounds, but just 12 points. Kawhi Leonard went off. So did George Hill for the Bucks two off the bench. I gotta say, game three is really where it started to get interesting. Milwaukee got off to this 2-0 lead, and Nick Nurse was saying, we're not concerned. We're not concerned. They started to figure them out. They started to figure out their play. And look what Toronto did. Pascal Siakam, 25-11, double-double. Marcus Sol, 16-12, double-double. Kawhi Leonard, 36 points. Norman Powell, 19 off the bench. And everyone forgets about Kyle Lowry, who had a really bad game. And these other guys stepped up. Kyle Russo, please analyze why Toronto's bench has helped them get back in this series. The little magic of God's plan, a.k.a. Drake. Aubrey Drake. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He is the curse of sports. Oh, that's not. Nah, come on. Everybody needs a hype man. But no, it's just, like you said, Tom, you analyzed the Bucks bench in the first two games, and that's really the reasoning behind them winning, being up 2-0, because, like you said, Giannis necessarily didn't have the exquisite, uh, miraculous, spectacular games in games one and two. It was the bench in which performed to a high, excellent level. And Toronto's bench doing the exact opposite, absolutely no bench support. Then they go up north. The exact opposite happens. There's absolutely zero support from this Milwaukee bench in both games, while you see the Toronto bench absolutely carrying the team. You see Serge Ibaka having big performances, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, um, uh, who else? Oh, and even not off the bench, obviously, but even Kyle Lowry. Ibaka. All the controversy. Ibaka is the only play. It. The only, 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 only yeah. play eight guys now. Yeah, but even a guy like Kyle Lowry, we talk about all the controversy. In fact, the main reason why the Marvin DeRozan got traded is because of the fact that the combination of Kyle Lowry and the Marvin DeRozan just couldn't work. And luckily for Toronto, they wanted up winning that trade and getting a the best two way to two-way player in all of basketball and Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry has been one of the best combinations of all of basketball right now Kawhi Leonard has allowed Kyle Lowry to have more open shots in which DeMar DeRozan didn't because he wasn't as great as a defender and as great as a shooter from beyond the arc as Kawhi Leonard is and on top of the fact <laughs> Kyle Lowry's just completely turned himself around he's making these shots that he wasn't making these past four or five years with Toronto when they got to these big playoff moments, whether it was in the Western Conference Finals against Cleveland, Eastern Conference Finals against Cleveland, or even in rounds one and two. He was usually the reason why they lost, not contributing to the reason why they won. 
So it's a combination of all those factors, and combined with even, I, I know we didn't get into it yet, but Game 5, and Tom, I'll let you take it from there. Well, Game 3, we got to wrap up on how Giannis and Middleton had no supporting cast. Chris Middleton went off, had 30 points. He was great. Nothing there. Game 4, Toronto tied the series. Another home win, 120-102. Kawhi held to just 19 was nursing some some type of injury in that game. I forget what he... He had a knee injury. Nicked up. Yeah, but then the bench did a great job. Again, Van Vliet, fantastic. Ibaka had a double-double. And Milwaukee outside of Giannis, just not good enough in Game 4. Leads to Game 5. The Raptors go back to Milwaukee last night. They beat the Bucks. Ugh. 105-99. Ugh. This is a solid win. Yeah, but Milwaukee's beginning to crumble. That's a good thing. That is not a good thing. Milwaukee's the best team in the league this year. Yeah. They had the most successful season. They won 60 games, and now Toronto has brought them on the brink of elimination. Kawhi Leonard, 15 points in the fourth quarter. They call him the showman. Showtime for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, 35 points again. This is something that Milwaukee needs to contain. They don't have an answer for Kawhi Leonard. He's nearly impossible to stop. 35 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. You're flirting with double double uh, tri- triple-double numbers. Unacceptable. Fred Van Vliet, 7-9 from 3. You can't allow that to happen. You can't allow that to happen. 21 points off the bench, and Toronto shooting 42% behind the 3-point line. That's unacceptable. Milwaukee shot better from the field than Toronto did. Toronto just shot 36% from the field. Milwaukee was 45%, but really what separated Toronto in this game was the outstanding play from everybody. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell. Marcus Soule did a great job with an offensive rebound late. He was the reason why that they were getting those open looks. The fact that you got to worry about him, and Danny Green has not been a factor in this series. I don't think Danny Green has scored this entire series. I feel like every time I check Danny Green's stats, it says yeah, zero he's points. He scored in game one. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where the Raptors are really beginning to get hot, and it's hard for Milwaukee to contain that. Chris Middleton, six points is not good enough, guys. Malcolm Brogdon inserted into the starting lineup trying to fix something. He had a double-double. But I'm telling you, the real key here... Eric Bledsoe is not playing good enough. Nikola Mirotic is not playing good enough. They're not. I've been calling for Connaughton to get more minutes all series. 12 minutes? But he hasn't been shooting the ball in the time that he's playing. Like, it's not like he's getting time to play, a decent amount of time to play. He's just not shooting the ball. Right, but he gets rebounds. And the problem is, the the problem with Milwaukee they cannot compete with Toronto's size. And defensively, they don't match up as well. L- Lopez is not a big, tenacious rebounder, as you would expect. A lot of the rebounds are coming from Middleton, Giannis, and Brogdon. And when they come out of the game, Miritich is not a good rebounder. The only rebounder they have is Ilyasova. I think they need him in the game a little longer in that second quarter because the problem is these stars are gassed in the second half. I think he needs more minutes. But look, you're telling me... Giannis, 39 minutes, only five, six rebounds in this game. I don't know. Milwaukee's been struggling. They can't shoot the ball behind the arc. 
That's part of the problem. And credit to Nick Nurse. The strategy to hold Milwaukee to 17 points in a quarter? When has that happened this year? Before last night, Milwaukee hadn't lost more than two in a row this season. They've now lost three in a row for the first time all season. Crazy, huh? But now my question is this. Who's the bigger threat to Golden State? I think they're both threats. They're both equally amount of threats. It's just a matter of who survives this series. And Giannis clearly stated it. We will not fold in Game 6. And they're going to come out. I mean, of course, when you're one game from being eliminated, you're going to come out, guns out, blazing, on the line. I think they're going to find a way to win the series still. They were the number one seed for a reason. And if they somehow survive Game 6, not only do they have the momentum, you have Game 7 at home in front of the fans. The problem is, can they survive Game 6? That's the issue now. With the way this Toronto team has been looking, it's going to be very difficult. The biggest, the biggest threat to the Golden State Warriors are hands down, 100% Toronto Raptors. Hands down? For the sole purpose of hands this. Hands down? For the sole purpose of this. You could have all the depth you want. You need to be able to stop the superstar of any team. And Kawhi Leonard, the defense that he plays, he shuts down anybody that he's guarding, essentially. And what's the problem with Milwaukee right now? Yeah, you're not getting the production off the bench, but you're getting absolutely nobody to defend Kawhi. I mean, they basically have come to fruition that they're just okay. Let me just let Kawhi get his 30-something points. We just can't let anybody else go off. You can't be okay with that. You cannot let the superstar flourish in this type of atmosphere, especially on your home court. Let him do it at his home court, but you can't have it at yours. They've allowed that to happen. And so when you talk about potentially not having Kevin Durant, probably for the first two games. You talk about Boogie Cousins probably not playing a game or two. Maybe even Iguodala probably going to be back. All right, first of all, don't look past Milwaukee. Series is not over. You're already saying they're going to play against Golden State. You just asked who's the biggest threat to the Warriors. Okay, you could say who the biggest threat to the Warriors are, but don't start comparing the series. Okay. Milwaukee, Malcolm Brogdon into the starting lineup too late. Too late. Well, if it's too late, then how do you expect them to win? I don't know. They got to stop Kawhi. They got to find a way. There's really no answer. Well, it's Kawhi's been five games. It hasn't. Kawhi's been the best player on the court <laughs> every game this season. Even on one leg, <laughs> he's been insane. Absolutely insane. I still think Milwaukee's the better team. The better team doesn't always come out and wins the series, though. I think from a team standpoint, Milwaukee has more depth. They have several advantages, but they're not utilizing them to the way that they should. And there were several calls in that game. That just mind-boggled my head both ways. The officials got to get it together. There was this one call in the game that didn't make any sense in Game 3. I forget what it was. I think it was George Hill was out of bounds. And then the the next play, Toronto comes back and things are 3. And from then, it was all Toronto in that game. And then in Game 2, it was the other way around. So the officials got to get it together both ways so that, you know... It's not the officials. Milwaukee was up 2-0. The officials didn't hand the game to Toronto. They didn't hand the game at home, in Milwaukee's standpoint, to Toronto. They got to shoot the ball better. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, Kupo, yeah, of course. You don't want to get put in that position. 7 of 36 from plus 4 feet out. Five of those seven shots that he's made from plus 4 feet have been three-pointers. But this same group of officials has been having problems the whole 
playoffs. You cannot blame the official. You you're, can. You're the you're the one to stand by. Don't blame the official. You cannot blame the official. They've been this bad though, and you know I've never been one to blame the officials. But when there's you blame the officials because they don't put the best crew. They mix and match. I blame they the officials when it's neck and neck. The both teams are shooting shooting out the gym, and the efficiency is off the charts. The defense is off the charts, and they make one stupid play. That'll give to you. But when a team can't shoot the ball for their life, and it's within a couple shoot for of their life, Milwaukee shot the ball better than Toronto did. They shot forty five percent from the field. Toronto shot thirty six percent. But from, from the your field. superstar, uh, he can't score unless he's underneath the hoop. You can't have that. He's got to be able to shoot the ball. The same person who's going to win you the game is going to lose you the game. And that's what's happening right now. Obviously, you want bench production. It's a must-need, especially in a team like Milwaukee, who has the bench depth. But it's not coming from that. Giannis did not lose Milwaukee the game last night. The player who really lost Milwaukee the game was Chris Middleton. Giannis was 2-for-3 behind the three-point line. You guys are saying he's a bad three-point shooter. He's getting a lot better. Since the playoffs have started... I think he's been getting a lot better. Chris Middleton was awful in Game 5. He was awful. Okay, but Giannis was awful in Game game 3, right? Giannis was awful in Game That was a potential. Went into overtime. The game went into overtime. They could have won that game. They could have been up 3-0. Game 5 last night. Remember, Kawhi Leonard also had one bad game in this series. But they won. Bailed out from their bench. We're comparing the stars, though. Giannis had one bad game. Kawhi Leonard had one bad game. One bad game. Kawhi Leonard is more experienced in the playoffs, and that's the advantage the Raptors have. That's the one advantage I give Toronto. Him and Marcus Gasol and Danny Green have all been there, done that. That's the reason why they're up 3-2 to two right now. Giannis says they will not fold, and Milwaukee has to win two in a row. I think they could very well do it if they find the way, if they find the way to get production from everybody because that's what they've been doing all season, and I think they're the better team. But sometimes the better team does not always win. On that note, we're going to step aside for our final break of the evening. When we come back, we will talk about some NBA news and touch upon a couple NFL transactions. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Welcome back, folks, to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Earhart, Kyle Russo, James Montefusco. Portland Trailblazers making some moves, extending Lillard, Stotts, and Olshi wasting little to no time. And the Minnesota Timberwolves agree to terms with their interim head coach, Ryan Saunders. I think this is a good move. They did a very nice job. Uh, He did a very nice job managing the team late in the season. And the Timberwolves, they have... Good players on their team. It's just they're in an overtly stacked Western Conference. And, you know, it's a little unfortunate that Minnesota could not get into the playoffs this year. But, hey, I think Saunders did a good job. The Timberwolves finished 36-46, and 46, just a game worse than the Lakers. And they had a 25-16 and 16 record at home this year. So taking over for Tom Thibodeau, a team that he kind of inherited, a lot of former Bulls. And let's see what he can do next year. The Knicks and R.J. Barrett. A lot of people are saying R.J. Barrett will go to New York. I think this is very likely to happen. Could be the best two-way player in the draft. 
plays defense, shoots the ball well, scores. And our guest, Devin Masters, brought up a very good point last week. This draft is not very deep. You have three players that are locks that you know can do it all. And then from there, it's just, who do you take? And if you're the Knicks, you shouldn't be disappointed. You should be thrilled because you had a very small percent chance to even get into the top four after all those trades. Look where Cleveland is. What about Chicago? Atlanta? They're a lot. They're down. If you're the Bulls, though, I wouldn't panic either. At number seven, that's where you got Laurie Markkinen. That's where you got Kirk Heinrich. You've gotten guys at number seven before. Wendell Carter Jr. So should be an interesting draft, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially, you know, for some of these other teams that are lower than four. Um, they still got a chance because things can happen. People make te- people and teams make ro- wrong uh, drafts. So, you know, you, s- you may get lucky and just draft an excellent guy coming at seven. Yeah, I mean, even, like, S- Steph Curry wasn't even a top-four pick. You know, like, like th- this stuff could happen, you know. Like, Donovan Mitchell wasn't a top-five pick either. Yeah, there's all dark horses yeah. within every draft that, you know, they get a chance and they can shine. Ben Simmons, number one pick, garbage, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if he's garbage. He's a really good basketball yeah, player. Fultz would have been he just, better. <laughs> Number yeah, one that's, true. Ben, that's true. I mean, ben, ben, Simmons. Ben, ben Simmons is a fantastic player. He just doesn't fit the modern era. You know, he just doesn't fit the modern era. He, he can't shoot the ball, so now that's what you got to be able to do. But he can't do that yet. Uh, Zion and the Pelicans. You terrible. know this. How is it terrible? Oh, so much money lost for him, his family, the league. I mean, this is the one year that they couldn't mess up. With the and they had to change the draft rules. Who couldn't mess up? The NBA with the draft rules. How did the NBA mess up? Well, changing the draft rules, changing the, everybody gets a fourteen percent chance. If you think about it, any other year, we we're sitting here today. The New York Knicks have the number one overall pick. We're a high market team. It's a good thing because now you shouldn't tank anymore. You should play. You should play to win. This was dumb. You, you're giving yourself a fourteen percent chance to get the highest player. And look at the Pelicans. They got it. Yeah. That goes to show you, the Knicks did not do the right thing last year. They didn't. Well, they didn't stink on purpose. They were just awful. They just couldn't win a game. Oh, the only come part on. The, the come only, on. The only shade I throw is not playing Enos Cantor. That's it. That's the only thing that they did. Otherwise, they didn't do anything. They were just terrible. I mean, th- what did they do? It's not like Chris Stapps was available and they didn't play him. I mean, he wasn't there. Enos Cantor. They got know? rid of all of their tenured players as well. They packaged Hardaway, Lee, and Burke in the Porzingis trade, which they didn't have to do. They dumped Ron Baker, which was wrong. He was injured. So what? Were you going to leave him on the roster? They get healthy eventually. Yeah, but you have you you have a couple other bums on this team that you could have got rid of for Alonzo Trier. I don't, I don't understand. Frank Nittalakina is still on this team, and it just makes me mad. Not for much longer. He's requested a trade, if he has any value at this yeah, point. Right? <laughs> See, this, is, this is why the NBA is horrible. This is why Adam Silver is not the best commissioner going. Oh, he's so good. No, he's not. He's terrible. Who's better? He's terrible. Who's better? He's terrible. Rob Manfred? Roger Goodell? Who's Players better? should not just get what they want. They should not be. They should not be allowed to do whatever they want. 
they should not be guaranteed whatever. They're not entitled to get traded. That's not how it is. If only in this standpoint, if Nelikina, if if they're not going to play the guy, what is he supposed to request? Not say, oh, I don't. Uh, I'm going to stay on this team and not be played. No, you're a professional basketball player. You want to be played. Of course he's going to request a trade because he could probably get minutes somewhere else. If No, he can't. He's a, he's a terrible player. guy can't score. Well, he doesn't. He, he's a professional basketball player. What is he supposed to say? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to get minutes anywhere else, so I'm not going to complain? No, you want to play. He's terrible. And if he's not going to be played by the Knicks, one of the worst basketball teams in the NBA yeah, right now. That just shows how bad he is. If he's not being played by the Knicks. Well, maybe I, he thinks he'll get another opportunity I'll somewhere get, else. Yeah, maybe in Europe. Go to Europe. Well, maybe. A lot of people go play at Europe. <laughs> I mean, they do. I mean, D'Angelo Harrison, former St. John's player, plays in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and then Job ja Morant, possibly, to Memphis. And we have our NBA Coach of the Year candidates, Mike Budenholzer, Mike Malone, Doc Rivers. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough one. I mean, it's got it's got to go to Boots. Cause, it's going to go to Budenholzer. Yeah. He deserves it because... Milwaukee, a team that went from like a six, seven seed in the East to the number one seed. I mean, sixty wins in a season. Nobody was expecting this. I think they were for sure the biggest surprise. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody predicted them to make the Eastern Conference Final alone. Who Milwaukee? Yeah. Oh, At the well, beginning the, of the season? The biggest surprise to me is the Clippers. You trade away any talent that you had and somehow made the playoffs and, and competed against the best team in the league. Well, we knew they weren't bad from the beginning of the season. We knew they were better than the Lakers because of their management. It was just better. Jerry West. You know, James loves Jerry West. I mean, uh, Doc Rivers. I mean, honestly, you know who should be thrown into the, the hat? Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, that's... I mean, I mean, he took a Nets team. That last what ten years? It's been laughable that team, and he took him to the playoffs. And you got to consider Mike Malone as well. Yeah, I mean, first time Nuggets make the playoffs since '09. Yeah, the first team was announced. The NBA first team: James Harden, Steph Curry, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. I think these were all good selections. The NBA All Second Team: Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard. Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid. This is where the NBA messed up. Yeah. How do you leave Clay Thompson off in place of Kyrie Irving, a guy who's hurt all season? I don't understand. I mean, there's all this turmoil surrounding him because he puts up a lot of points. You put him on there. Did you see uh, his press conference when he rolled his eyes and yeah. shook his oh, head? Oh, because that's, that's the yeah. moment you realize. And oh, because now he's not – I don't believe he's eligible now for a Supermax because by not being on the team, he lost $30 million. I believe you're correct, yeah. yeah. And where's LeBron? Where's LeBron? Where's LeBron? Why is he not on the team think versus the second I don't think LeBron team? really cares, to be honest. He doesn't care. It's an 11-year streak that broke. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he cares, but, I mean, come on. It's, Probably he it's got LeBron. hurt. He didn't play enough. Yeah, he's too busy. When he did, they couldn't win. He's too busy producing shows in L.A. Yeah. I can, Space Jam, I can, too. I can name you four yeah. shows he's produced that nice. just came on TV. Nice. Bar, the shop. Yeah. The all-rookie team, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, Jared Jackson Jr., and Marvin Bagley III. This year's all-rookie team were all top five picks. That's the first time that's happened since 1984. That consisted of Hakeem Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, Charles Barkley. Nice, right? Got a little fun factoid in there. Some great rookies this year. Luka Doncic from Europe. Trey Young has been fantastic. Him and Kevin Hooter in that backcourt. That's a good future right there. 
they could just get the John, John Collins in the front court as well. They just need a little more experience. Yeah. Yeah, the Hawks still stink. And they'll probably stink for the next four or five years. Yeah, super good. Just <laughs> <laughs> one and done's, man. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Uh, and then Jared Jackson Jr., I, he kind of flew under the radar this year. He really didn't get talk about, talked about that much for Memphis. But, I mean, hey, Marvin Bagley the third, Sacramento. I know Dawes likes him a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then other news in the NBA. Steve Mills said that Christoph Sporzingis, he told the Knicks they had a week to trade him or he was going back to Europe. How true do we think this is? And do you think this will uh, translate into any ongoing feud between him and the Knicks in the future? I think this diminishes value towards the Knicks organization as a total. Because you got to remember how this man entered the league. He entered the league booed in New York. He turned everybody's heads around and put him on his side. Yeah. For him to request something like that and that type of aggression and stuff like that, saying, I'm going to go back to Europe because I don't want to be here anymore, they must have treated him wrong I, that they're not telling you this about. This is why I totally disagree because... They treated him wrong. Christoph Porzingis' brother has, you know, obviously has impacted his life. I think he turned him into this little diva that, he, you know, Christoph turns into. Because, yeah, Russo, you have a case in that. But then, like, two weeks ago, there's a video of Christoph Porzingis bloody in a Lativa bar. Get punched in the face. Why? I don't know. Exactly. Nobody knows. He's there, not but, smart. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why he's off the it's, Knicks. It's, he's turned into a diva. And cap space. That's all the NBA is. It's all these divas that yeah. want trades, and they want what they want because they're entitled to it. And I, that's what Adam Silver is getting across to this league. Everybody is entitled to everything. Yeah. And that is not how sports is. I agree. That is not how it should be. But unfortunately, that's what the NBA is turning into. That's what all sports are turning into. But I'm going to single out the NBA there, and Adam Silver is doing a terrible job with that. You should be proud for the team that you play for. Like, yes. You don't hear MLB teams, uh, MLB players going, oh, I want to be traded to the Yankees. No, I'm pretty sure every MLB player wants to be play, play for the Yankees. Yeah. But, like, you don't hear them say, you know, like, we trade NHL players the same way. NFL players, for the most part, don't do it either. But, yeah, the, the, the NBA's really got to fix this because this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous because you're smiling standing next to the Golden State Warriors every year. That's all you do. His golden child, the yes. Warriors. That's what they are. It's crazy <laughs> when, when when this run will end with Golden State. I'm not sure if it, <laughs> it, it ever will at this rate. <laughs> it will. It will someday. It will. Other big news, guys. Juwan Howard will be the next head coach for his alma mater, the Michigan Wolverines basketball team. I was Love shocked. It. I was shocked. Cool. Great guy. I mean, I can't. I, I guess. Can't I, I don't know. I just don't like that all these guys, assistant coaches, because that's what made the Miami Heat so successful is the the fact that not only did they have Spolster, but they had the guys like David Fisdale, Jawan Howard, and now they don't have those guys anymore. So, but Michigan's a big basketball program. Oh yeah, without I'm, a doubt. I'm surprised they go with an inexperienced coach well he's not listen he's been behind a yeah, NBA yeah assistant for... assistant coach Kyle he, he's never been a head coach it's just a long and and very true and it's Michigan one of the best like college basketball programs out there you got to be able to recruit man I don't know a lot of schools like to see their alum success oh, within yeah. the school so but you also want to see a, su- a successful head coach take oh, the job oh yeah no for sure yeah so Quick here, with two minutes left, NFL news. Chris Long retires after 11 NFL seasons. The 2018 NFL Walter Payton Man of the Year. The Jets go out and sign Deontay Thompson this week. The big news, he played with Gase in Chicago. 
But are there any remaining thoughts on Gase's press conference following the Mike McCagnan firing? I know, Kyle, you may have a couple of thoughts on that there. Uh, we're already out of time. I'll just leave it short and sweet that uh, Jets are still clowns. The Jets will always be clowns, and I've accepted it at this point. Just when you think the Giants, you know, make a dumb move and stuff like that, the Jets always have to one-up them and just be dumber. So that's that's all I'm going to say to that. Hold my beer moment. Yeah. I that's, still that's think the Jets are the second-best team in AFC East. I mean, yeah, no, and, and they have the players, Tom, to be a great team. It's just... It's just, it's just, this management. It's just a joke. It's just, yeah. a, really, it's a big joke. Uh, but w- winning cures everything, right? So if they, if they win, no one will remember. And I think this year you might see a team surprisingly like the Bucks if they figure out their quarterback situation. That's the only thing that's left to figure out. And I think Tampa Bay has a legitimate shot. They release Gerald McCoy after nine seasons and re- replace him with Damakung Sue. So we'll see. And they get Devin White, linebacker of LSU in the draft. One of the best picks of that draft by far. Uh, people say he has a shot to even be the best defensive player coming out of that draft, despite all that talent with Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver, uh, Allen, Josh Allen. But on that note, we'd like to thank you all for watching our show tonight on Facebook Live, listening to our show on The Wave, liuwave.org, that is. Stay tuned next week for more analysis on the NBA playoffs, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. MLB News. On behalf of Kyle Earhart, Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, wishing you a good evening. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good night, everyone.